Yeah, absolutely. Um, and a lot of the culture breaks down to, I mean, those, those first three days of training is, is also like a second interview. And okay. what you're doing, what we're doing in the first day is, yeah, we're selling at the doors, but as soon as we turn around, we're, we're making sure that this is a good person that that's going to be in the organization. Like, are they fitting mm -hmm. the core values? Um, are we like, when you're actually getting to know them, like what's their day-to-day -day looking like? Um, we can kind of figure out what that, that love language is, I guess you could say. Great experiences build great leaders. Great leaders build great teams. This is Building Great Sales Teams. Hey guys, welcome back to the Building Great Sales Teams podcast. I've got an exciting one for us today. I've got Adam Kramer. He's the CEO of Royalty Renewables. He's an expert in door-to-door -door sales, my favorite kind of sales. He's a automating, he's been automating sales processes and innovating his industry. Adam just recently went from zero to 15K weeks in his business. Adam, welcome to the show, brother. I appreciate that. I appreciate the welcome. Absolutely, man. I remember when we first met at the IIC Super Bowl party in Vegas, thought we were big ballers in the penthouse at the top there <laughs> at that event. Uh, we were having a good time and we got into a conversation. And I think you were very, very early on in your journey. You were just starting your, your company that you have now. And uh, I vaguely remember you asking me for some advice, but I also remember that you were a sharp kid. And I was like, this kid's going places. And, and, and now here you are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That event, that event was awesome. Um, and when I went there, that was, I mean, that was weeks before even starting the company. And you had only had five episodes of your podcast out because that was, um, I mean, that's what really jump-started me into, into building the sales team for our organization um, was listening to the first five episodes that you put out, which I've listened to. I don't know how many times I've listened to them. They're phenomenal, phenomenal episodes. I appreciate that. Thank you so much, man. I, uh, it's, it's rare that I point people back to episode one and two, but when I, when I do, it's typically I'm pre-qualifying them as a client and I'm letting them know, hey, this is what I actually do. I know you see all the, the sexy stuff on screen and everything and me interviewing all these cool people, but... This is what I actually do, which is build sales programs. So I always point them back to those first two episodes because if you're not in the business, you know what I mean, or you're, you know, you don't have experience building sales teams, they're they're just not exciting episodes. You know what I mean? It's yeah. very structural, very tactical, you know. And uh, but it is the the foundation for what we do here. Okay, so you recently posted about the paradigm between the unhappy person on the other side of the door and yourself as the one knocking the door and so i i thought it i thought it was a really good post and i wanted to see if you could kind of walk us through your perspective on that yeah absolutely so my my perspective is that there's there's no such thing as a negative reaction from them in their eyes so when they're coming to the door and they're they're upset with you i mean really in any situation if people are what is perceived as negative for you um, more often than not they feel as though they're doing good for themselves, their family, a, a bigger and greater cause. I mean, when they come to the door and they're mad um, and they're unhappy that you're there, they don't, they're mad because they don't want their time wasted. They may think that this is a scam. They may have been burned in the past. They believe that they're protecting themselves, their wallets, their family. So when they're coming to the door and they're upset with you, um, it's a lot easier to realize that they're coming out with good intent. Even though you may be on the blunt end of that, they are, they are um, doing their best to be 
be good and provide good for themselves and their family. That's the hardest part in, in door to door sales. And I would always tell my guys, it's like, you, you gotta, you gotta maintain that. It's not, you know, don't take it personal because <laughs> it's exactly what you just said. They think that they're doing what's best for their family. You're doing what's best for yours, which is going out, hustling, providing, you know what I'm saying? So you, you guys are both right, you know? And that's how I would end a lot of arguments, honestly, between the customer and the sales rep or the sales rep and sales reps. Like you guys are both right in this situation, you know? You're doing Absolutely. what you think is best for you. You're doing what you think is best for you, right? And so, um, all right. So I'm going to make a statement here. It's controversial. And I'm sure okay. you, hear it, you hear it all the time. Adam, door-to-door -door is dead. Why would you still be knocking doors? You know, you and I hear this all the time, and I'm being facetious, obviously. But I can't tell you how many times over the last 13 years that I've operated a door-to-door -door sales company or consultant consulted for door-to-door -door sales clients and I've heard this just term. So that being said, one of the things you put in your input form is the new wave of tech in door to door. Those two things are kind of counterproductive, aren't they? Walk me through that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it, the old mentality of door to door um, is, I wouldn't say that it's, it's dying or that it is dead, but I would say that it's declining. Um, I don't know how many doors that I've knocked that you look in the window and there's people laying on the ground. They don't want to come out. You see them inside. They're not willing to even answer the door at this point. Um, and that's, I mean, it's only becoming more common. There's less and less people that are willing to answer the door because they know what's standing on the other side. So right. with that, I mean, there's, there's so many tools that we have at, at our disposal um, when it comes to, to tech. I mean, even as basic as, I mean, you've seen guys out on segways, I'm sure, if you've, if you've seen that before, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, even as simple as, I mean, just getting to doors faster. I mean, you're taking out the time in between, in between going to the doors, but on top of that, you have a lot of resources. I mean, even just putting them into your CRM these days, um, mm -hmm. you can start running follow-up campaigns of text, emails, putting them into Facebook audiences. I mean, you can really get in front of customers in six different ways, as long as you get their information, just simply by knocking the door. So there's a lot of things you can kind of interweave. Um, and make sure that you're getting in front of customers at the place that they like, because door to door may not be their their cup of tea. No, I couldn't agree more. the The problem with door to door is it keeps working. Yeah, that's, that's, true. <laughs> that's the problem with it, and it's not declining for the reason that most people think, because it's an archaic sales medium. It's declining because of COVID. You know, and there's all kinds of industries that declined because of COVID, and people stop answering their doors because they know that. Hey, if my friend comes over or a neighbor comes over, they typically don't knock on the door. They text me first, you know, mm -hmm. or they message me in the neighborhood app. You know what I'm saying? So there's, like you said, they know why their door is being knocked on and it's to be sold something. And most of the time people don't think they want to be sold anything, but at the end of the sales transaction, they're that, they get that dopamine hit. They just purchased something. They're super happy. They solved a problem. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. They, get, they get to go be the hero with their family. Hey, we're finally getting solar. Or, you know, I reduced our energy rates or I locked it in for the next two or three years, whatever the case is. And at the end of it, they're they're happy anyways. And and then and that's the whole deal. It's like you think I have a, you know, seven hundred thousand dollar company or a multimillion dollar company because it doesn't work. <laughs> like, how yeah. does that work? You think I'm that bad of a business person? OK, so then the next one, the next controversial statement or the thing that I hear all the time and maybe you can help me with this is solar is a scam. So what's the new wave of solar? 
Yeah, so the the new wave of solar, at least in um, in the industry that I'm in, which is community solar, that's uh, that's that's what I call the new wave of solar, just simply because we have access to a, a lot larger market. I wouldn't say any solar's a scam, um, unless you get your news from Facebook, then maybe 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 solar's a scam at that point. Um, but yeah, that I consider it the new wave because we have access to, I mean, sixty five percent of of the market that rooftop solar can't can't help because mm -hmm. we don't have to worry about roof pitch we don't have to worry about credit you you can be renting your house it really doesn't matter we have access to a huge customer base um mm -hmm. compared to to what the rooftop solar options have man and that brings up a good point in general and i talk about this a lot on the show it's like man what is your sales cycle what is your product how long does it take to get it installed you know like everybody got into solar because these massive commissions right and then some of us got out of it because we didn't think that there was integrity in the industry. And so, you know, when you look at those factors, but then when you, like you said, the market itself, like how many people have I talked to and they're not a homeowner or they don't have a, a single family home and it just eliminates so many of them right away. And that's why the commission's so high in solar because the market is smaller, right? And the sales cycle is longer and it takes, you know, 50 to $60,000 in available credit in order to get that customer. So when you look at scaling the company and the, the companies that I see that are really scaling right now, it's not just, you know, these numbers they throw up because they're including the entire solar system in their numbers. It, it really is the, the lower margin, lower or higher volume products that they're scaling because they're easy to sell, right? You can teach someone to sell it in a couple of days versus solar is more like a two week closer uh sales training process and um they they can they can scale quickly and they can scale with quality because it is such a such a simple product to sell i've actually composed a script on shared, shared solar and i was just like man this reminds me of the the cable days you know what i'm saying when sales were super easy <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah so i i think that's important that we look at you know and this is uh when i when I did the compensation station episode, we really looked at sales cycles and the shorter they are, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you may be able to make 10 K or sorry, that's exaggerating 5k in one sale in solar, but the time that it takes to put together that sale, the sales cycle, how long it takes to get installed. And then all the issues and stresses that happen in between. And I know personally, cause I operated a, a solar sales org for two years. It kind of makes it not, not worth it, but you have to really, hire the right people versus I feel like in your industry, you know, you can hire a little less quality, a little more volume, you know what I'm saying? And get a really good effect from that. And then uh, affect a lot of people in a positive way, taking them from, you know, five, $600 a week in income to a thousand, $1,500 a week. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's our, that's our goal with, with every rep as they come in within the first three weeks is to be, be having checks similar to that. Um, and, yeah, I would say you're you're definitely right. I don't know if it's on the on the quality side. I would say when you're when you're looking at that longer sales cycle, you're looking at somebody that has that delayed gratification. They okay. need to be able to have that built in and to find people like that is a lot harder. I mean, cuz you're you have that 2 week sales cycle, but then you have the install time, and then you have to get them paid mm -hmm. after the install. So you're you're really waiting on some checks. I know there's um, there's guys that do a prepayment once it's actually signed, um, right. but to actually get the full lump sum of what your commission is going to look like does take a while. 
So mm -hmm. to get people in that are not only good at sales, willing to go out, grind and hustle on the doors, get told no, have doors slammed, and then also wait for that check on top of it, um, you're you're looking at a little bit harder of a recruiting process than it would be to do just the community solar side of it, where it's one to three week turnaround on pay. Yeah, not to mention they've got to make a living while they're training, right? Exactly. They've got to make a living while they're setting appointments. And, you know, the the M1 may come in or you may have a setup to where they get paid pretty quickly. But at the same time, it's like it's not enough for their cost of living or whatever the case is. And that that's where they turn and burn a lot. They realize, mm -hmm. oh, shoot, I'm not getting a check for three weeks. And even that check's going to be, you know, 500, 600 bucks because I only set so many appointments because I was learning. And so that that whole system is is very difficult to navigate on the on the front end. How do you guys do that? Because, you know, obviously there there's still some delay there, delayed gratification. They're not literally getting paid their first week or do you all have like a training pay set up? Yeah, so we do we do have a training pay set up for them. So, I mean, they they get paid for the time that they come out to the doors with us. Um, mm -hmm. And within their first within their first week, I mean, they're doing anywhere between 750 and 1500 their their first week of actually knocking on them on their own. Um, mm -hmm. after we do that jump started training and that's coming in within two weeks is when that's hitting, um, mm -hmm. hitting their bank. And then as soon as they hit their first five deals, we, we send them that training pay immediately. So that can be within, I mean, that can be within four or five days of them actually starting with us before they get that training pay for coming out. And then another mm -hmm. two weeks and you're getting anywhere from 750 to 1500. Yeah. And that's like a normal job that you go into exactly. uh, W hourly, whatever the case is. But you guys, I would imagine, because I, I I know the sales cycle and the shared solar industry, or I'm sorry, the, co the commission cycle. And so sometimes you're coming out of pocket on that just to make sure that you retain that those reps. Yeah, on the training pay, we come out of pocket, but we get paid weekly on um, on our actual community solar sub subscriptions. Right. Um, at least on this project, we are currently. Sometimes it is mm -hmm. bi-weekly. But yeah, on once they actually get their first check that was um was the sales they made that's not mm -hmm. out of pocket for us that's sent directly to them after we got paid that's one thing i noticed about the industry too in shared solar is you know you may cap out on the people that you can sign up and you may have to jump to another uh how do you say it uh developer right yep. and so you've got to have like a rolodex if you're the the dealer or the the sales or you got to have a rolodex of, of people that you're able to sell their products through because you may max out on on one farm versus another and am I right in that line? Oh yeah. Yeah. You need, you need to have like a, I, I always call us a brokerage um, okay. more than anything is we, we just have a portfolio of developers and we make sure that our customers are saving the most um, that they know what options are out there and all that sort of good stuff. Cause yeah, that is a huge issue in the industry. Um, mm -hmm. On top of that, not having clear timelines on when that's going to be filling up. Cause it can be a drop of a hat. Um, and, and all of a sudden that thing's gone. Yeah, because guys like you are coming in and selling all the capacity. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, you don't know you don't know how many teams are on it either because they right. just want their fields filled. Um, yeah. That's all that that's all that they really care about. So makes it no, makes that it makes a little sense. Tough, but... Yeah, and if you can find relationships where they can kind of give you that runway, then you can actually build a business based on that. Versus not knowing when the runway is just going to drop off into a waterfall. You know exactly. Okay, so I want to kind of pivot back to something you wrote the other day. And uh, this is probably easily my favorite thing you posted. I literally commented that before we got on the show. And you said, they say, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. I didn't do that. I fell in love with what I did instead. I mean, I felt that one in my bones. And let me tell you why. Because I was not 12 years old 
dreaming, uh, dreaming in the middle of the night and then waking up and saying, I want to be a door to door salesperson, or I want to be a door to door sales org owner, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it, exactly what you describe right there happened for me. It's like, I got this opportunity to own our owner finance, uh, a dealership for AT&T. I took advantage of the opportunity. And as I was building the business, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with systems and processes. I fell in love with sales. I fell in love with sales training. I fell in love with watching guys go from, you know, maybe 20, 30 grand a year in income to 60, 70 and being that stepping stone for them for the next phase of their life. Uh, I fell in love with all of those things. And so can you kind of walk us through how you came to that epiphany, I would call it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, out of high school, it was within a week I was out in the oil field. I mean, that's mm -hmm. how I saw my life is I was going to go be an electrician and be in the grimy oil field, negative 40. Um, since then, of course, I, I hopped into door-to-door -door sales and I had no idea. I mean, even like you said, at 12 years old, I would have never guessed I was doing door-to-door -door sales. But getting thrown into it and seeing the progression that you can have yourself in it. I mean, the maturity that it got me, the communication skills it got me, the commission checks that it was getting me um, was insane. But it's even cooler um, when you can go out and literally give people that exact same opportunity, except take the experience that you had in the beginning, figure out all the holes that were in that experience on what held you back, what was the problems with it, what were the issues, and then fill every single one of those gaps and just make it the easiest process for these guys when they come in. So that's, that's been what I've fallen in love with is just making it as easy as possible for every single sales rep to go from zero to six figures and within their first year of actually starting in, in sales and watching that progression of who they become within mm -hmm. the first month, two months, it's they're, they're a completely different person. Honestly, once, once they get to like month three or four, it's, it's insane to watch these guys. No, and it can it can be a good thing and a bad thing, right? Because now they're making this money that magnifies who they are, right? True. And so it 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 shows you very fast who are the ones you should keep investing in and who are the ones that, hey, maybe we should go look for an opportunity somewhere else. This this may yeah. not be for you, right? No, uh I I love what you're saying though. Like you went through that whole experience and you and you kept the bad, or sorry, kept the good and got rid of the bad, right? And so we, we developed a concept, I, I want to say it was like 2016, probably, called the Sales Rep Experience, the SRE. And so what we did was we said, okay, we want to audit the Sales Rep Experience from the time that they click apply to the time that they get promoted to manager, regional manager, whatever the case was. And we wanted to make sure that that was, like you said, as fluid and as pleasant as possible. And there wasn't a lot of roadblocks if they put in the work ethic, you know, and so once we started auditing that, so when I think about like the history of our company in, in, in 2014, hitting 110 sales reps, it was very body count equals bank account, volume based, didn't really matter who came in the door. We'd train them to sell. They'd go out and sell. We'd all make a bunch of money, right? Versus we kind of went through that cycle. And then uh, as the years went on, we started focusing on the individuals more and built and pouring into them more individually. And then like you were alluding to the sales rep experience. So if you can actually put your, as an owner, right, you know, this is, this is no longer, oh, when, when Adam went through it, this is how it was and I want to fix it. it. It's now constantly putting yourself through your sales rep experience and then auditing it, modifying it and making it better and better. Just like you said, I think that's massive. I think it's a massive takeaway for everybody listening is to remind, hey, you were once that sales rep 
you need to put yourself through that experience, whether it's mentally or physically, right? Uh, again, and see and remind yourself what that was like and make sure that you're making it as advantageous, profitable, and, you know, good for culture as possible. Yeah, I think absolutely. That's yeah, another another thing to add on top of that is anytime that you have guys that are coming in that have past sales experience, especially if it's door to door experience, is figure out what their situation was um, mm -hmm. previous because obviously it kept them it kept them around long enough to be knocking doors with it, but it didn't keep them. So right. what's the reason that they're leaving to come to your company? What are they looking for, and what did that company lack? And it's not just them that's going to have have those same feelings. So if you realize that you're lacking in that area too it's more than likely that you're going to start yeah. losing reps for that exact same reason, whether they'll admit it to you or not when they're leaving. Mm -hmm. So when you get those new guys that have that experience, definitely be asking those questions to make sure that you're filling those holes, even if you didn't know that you had them. 100%. I couldn't agree more. And then there's the flip side of it. And then you realize it was them, not the other company. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That too. That too. I, I got to play devil's advocate <laughs> a little bit here because not, you know, I would say like seven times out of 10 it's them and not the other company. And, Three times out of 10, you get a good one. You get a good egg, you know? Mm -hmm. All right. So I'm sure our listeners that are early in their careers or their businesses would love to know, how did you go from zero to 15K? What were the pivot points and, and key things, key takeaways that you realize, hey, that's not only going to take me from zero to 15K, it's going to take me from 15K to 20K, which is a million dollar a year, right? Yeah. And so I, I don't know if you realize that you're only 4,500 a week away from trending to a million, uh, seven figure year. That's gotta be getting exciting for you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely exciting. Um, we did that in, um, in two months starting from, from square one. So oh, wow. yeah, that was from, I mean, everything, I mean, first off, when it comes to, when it comes to building a business, you don't lose the knowledge and that it sticks with you forever. I mean, as, as long as you're building businesses, it it's going to transfer right into the next one. And the reason that we got that jump start is because I'd already been able to experiment in, in Colorado. So that was just transitioning over to Minnesota. And what, what I did wrong, I think is a better, a better explanation of, of what I did. Right. Um, okay. when I first started the business after our first conversation, I mean, my thought was, okay, in business, much like fishing, you have the option to, I mean, you can throw out six different lines and fishing can only throw out two, but in, in business, I can throw out, eight different lines and see what ends up working. But mm -hmm. when you do that and you're splitting your time to eight different things, I mean, there's, there's eight figure solar companies that are doing cold calling. There's eight figure solar companies that are doing door knocking. I mean, in every single channel that you go down, you're going to find an eight figure company that focuses just on that. Yeah. So what I did at the beginning is I decided to build eight businesses within one business, which was ridiculous. I didn't go all in on any of them because I didn't have that time in order to do it. So figuring out what one I wanted to stick to, what one was actually working for me um, and really hammering down on what that exact thing looks like and then tracking the metrics as much as humanly possible as we go through it. That was the, that was the most crucial thing when we hopped into the, um, into the Minnesota market is knowing that door knocking is the number one thing that's been bringing in the revenue. Um, mm -hmm. We're going to hammer down on that, figure out exactly how we're going to be doing this as effectively as possible, what the metrics are on that. And then mm -hmm. we can dabble in some other stuff, just experimental, but the 80% of our time is going to what's bringing in the, the majority of the money. I couldn't agree more. It's one of the hardest things to do, especially when you have a sales rep come in at entry level, at an entry level, 
the first thing they're going to do is ask, okay, can I sell this way, that way, this way? It's like, no, go to another company. If you want to sell seven different ways, you're going to learn this way. You're going to get good at it. You're going to train other people how to do it. And then you're going to make six figures. That's how this works. And if you do that, if you execute on that, then you'll be in good shape. And then we can start talking about the other mediums that you want to use, whether it be PVC, whether it be organic social media or uh, whatever the case is, just general web advertising. And so, but I think the key thing in that is assigning a person to it. And that's all that they do. Just like you did when you first started out and your experience was in door knocking. So you decided to double down on that avenue. And it is, it's a low barrier of entry, right? You need to be able to get your own contracts and everything and run the actual business side, payroll, accounting, all that good stuff, recruiting, marketing. But at, at the same time, if all you do is go out and knock doors every day, you by yourself can probably put together a three hundred. $400,000 business just by yourself, you know, that's the beautiful thing about it is the low barrier of entry. But as you, like you mentioned, as you evolve, you're definitely going to want to assign some people to, to capture those other sales mediums, essentially. All right, brother. So like I said, you know, you're realizing you're, you're about, well, so you said you did that in two months. How long has it been since y'all started? Yeah, so the the business started back in February of of last year. It's actually March of last year, okay. um, and that was out. Where in, are you guys out, at Colorado. now? Yeah, in Minnesota now. Okay, no, but yep. I'm saying like uh, gross income weekly. Where are you guys at now? Are you already past that seven figure mark? No. So the reason I say we did that in two months is you actually mentioned it earlier is that um, developers they run out of capacity. So okay. that same thing with the supply chain issues, all that sort of stuff, cracked down heavy in Colorado and there's mm -hmm. only one organization that's out there that that was still still left um yeah. so yeah we ended up bouncing from Colorado and we're two months in two and a half months in now um in in Minnesota and that's that's what we've built from from scratch beautiful beautiful now that makes a ton of sense are you guys I mean you guys are very early very early in in Minnesota but are you guys already looking at because of your history from Colorado? Are you are you looking at other products or other kind of fallbacks to to sell on? Or yeah, you just absolutely. Focused on shared solar. Yeah, so it's it's strictly on shared solar, but um, the focus is on getting more contracts. Um, in the last two months, I've actually gotten six different contracts signed. Um, nice. So that's been a massive focus. I mean, every single day there's a good hour that goes into it um, that I have blocked off on my calendar. No matter what, get as many contracts in this time. So we have the contracts in place. And I mean, that's as a business owner, find the bottleneck, fix it. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of my main focus right away, especially when we got here is fix, <laughs> fix that bottleneck as fast as humanly possible. Absolutely. And so uh, another common one for a sales org is going to be the recruiting piece. So going back into that, what is y'all's recruiting strategy right now? Are you taking your time on hires? Uh, what, what is your onboarding process, your training process look like there? Yeah. Yeah. So um, when it comes to actual recruiting, I we've done we've done two actual methods of it, um, at least two platforms for it. So we've used Facebook and then we've also used Indeed. Um, those two are super good. Indeed gets a little more quality. Uh, Facebook gets a lot more volume. Uh, you have to do a lot more sifting through it, though. And with both of those, we've actually had a lot more success of recruiting from within. So bringing guys on, showing them the ropes, seeing the resources that they have, the support that they get, show them the culture that we have, um, and then having them go out and bring in um, new new reps for us. 
So that's, that's been the number one and that's gotten us more reps than anything else is recruiting within. Um, so the, the actual training process that we have set up, we have a set days that we go out with them immediately. So you have to do three days back to back to back with us. Right. Um, right. that's, that's a given, no matter what you have to set up those three days in a row, um, mm-hmm. with two more ready to go for you to knock after. And that's been one of the best things for us to jumpstart is making sure that they're getting comfortable at the door with a trainer of somebody mm-hmm. that's able to be with them. You see how we do it. Just be a sponge. Then you get to do 50, 50, you knock, I knock, you knock, I knock, go back and forth with it. Um, right. and they kind of do like a 75, 25, where you knock three, I knock one. Um, and that has been a really good jump start immediately. And then we do one day a week, if not more, if they need it, um, one day a week for about three weeks that we'll touch base with them, um, yeah. and go out to the field with them and then also go through the recordings. Oh, that makes a ton of sense. So one of the things that I would, I would, I would challenge you to do, and may, you may already be doing this just to let me know, but I would challenge you to track all of your candidates coming in and, uh, the first five sales that they make in terms of where the, the recruiting source. And I think what you'll find, and this, this is typically, you know, what we found in the past doing a high volume of recruiting is that indeed gives you more volume in terms of your hires, but Facebook is actually going to give you better hires. And I know that sounds crazy right now because when you look at your leads, Facebook, it may be giving you more per dollar and indeed less per dollar because indeed is expensive now because they realize that they're the only game in town now, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? In terms of recruiting websites. But I think what you'll, the reason that is, is because Facebook gives them a preview into your company. They're actually able to go in and see what you guys are all about, depending on where you're recruiting from. And so it, it then makes it very important where you can narrate that story of them coming in, seeing, seeing your, what your company looks like. So that's where, you know, the, the success checks come up. That's, that's where the, the field stories and, you know what I mean? The company events are being posted on the company Facebook page. And so as you do more and more of that, you'll be able to dictate the quality of the recruits that you have coming in. And so, uh, that's one of the, that's one of the best things we did. We tracked the first five sales after they were hired and that's what we would see. And then when you get the internal referrals, we would see that, uh, and, and when I say internal referrals, I mean, your salespeople referring their friends into the company, those people would be five times more productive than someone that was hired from ads. And we only knew that though, because we were tracking the data after they got hired. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah no, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely, just, definitely something to track. For sure. So what are you guys doing in terms of culture? You know, this is, this is the fun part of the business. This is when you get to like have a good time with the guys, take them out, you know what I mean? Or maybe even y'all, y'all do more than that. You know what I mean? I just got introduced to, to Apex and masterminds and development two years ago. You know what I'm saying? So at the, the height of my business, I wasn't even able to put a lot of that stuff together. It was all around sales training, product training, you know, and then showing the guys a good time. Right. Mm-hmm. So now you have something at your disposal that I would have ha- loved to have 10 years ago, which is the, the development piece, the mindset piece, all the things that we learn in groups like Apex, and we can actually bring them into our company. So what does, I guess, your culture strategy look like right now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and a lot of the culture breaks down to, I mean, those those first three days of training is is also like a second interview. And okay. what you're doing, what we're doing in the first day is, yeah, we're selling at the doors, but as soon as we turn around, we're, we're making sure that 
this is a good person that that's going to be in the organization. Like, are they fitting the core values? Um, are we like, when you're actually getting to know them, like what's their day-to-day looking like, um, we can kind of figure out what that, that love language is, I guess you could say, um, on how to actually be building that person up and going through that. I mean, we, we have, uh, like our number one core value is self-improvement. So with that, we have a full, like a full list of books that they have the option to get as soon as they go through them and read them. I mean, we're, we're reimbursing on the book side of it. We bring, um, bring the guys out to dinner after, after they have, it's generally 2000 in a week, um, bring them out to dinner. And then we're, we do full like custom shoes for the team. So they all have, nice. yep. So they all get like the company logos. They get to pick what shoe that they prefer. It's just the, the company colors that's going to be on the shoes just as kind of like a, yep. You're, you're part of the group. You had, you had your big week here. Yeah. Now you're part of the crew. Um, part of the ship. So that's, I mean, it's, it's been a kind of a, something that we're evolving with because mm-hmm. it's really different for each person on how they want to have you show appreciation for them. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. A hundred percent. It does. Um, I don't know if you've ever read the book giftology by John Ruin. No, I haven't. Give that book a shot. Cause it, it really did. We implemented it probably, I want to say in 17, and so what we did is when they were applying for the position and they eventually got hired, when they got hired, they would have to fill out this onboarding form. And it wouldn't be like name, email, phone number. We already got all that stuff, right? It would be like, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite brand? If you had a thousand dollars, what would you and, you, and you couldn't spend it on bills or anything like that. You had to spend it on yourself. What would you buy? You know, mm-hmm. and um, what's your favorite kind of food? And so we would catalog all this information and then we'd set up a schedule. And the schedule would be based on days with the company. It wouldn't be based on birthdays or anniversaries or anything cheesy like that. We do all that stuff. Don't get me wrong, but that's, you know, $5 cupcakes from HEB or whatever. Well, uh, Kroger in y'all's case, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, we got <laughs> Texas, right? And so um, that would be the easy stuff. But then we would have days set up that seven days in, they would get, you know, a, a wristband from the, from the company, you know, a, uh, mission wristband for the company. Right. And then, uh, 15 days in, they may get an extra polo and then, yeah, when they hit the first G club, they may get a, a G club pin to put on their lanyard, whatever the case is. So there would be all these little, little things that we did throughout to show appreciation, but then, yeah, when they were there for 90 days, then maybe they got a hundred dollar gift card to their favorite restaurant. You know, these little things, like you said, to show not just appreciation, but customized appreciation. You know, and that all came from that book, uh, Giftology by John Ruin, which is a fantastic book recommended to everybody. Yeah. The, the cool thing is, too, is that the, the other guys see um, like with your ideas of the, the wristbands, the pins, um, we do the, the custom shoes like other nice. guys see that that aren't quite there. Right. That that's recognition every time that the team is seeing them because they have those. I don't want to call them trinkets, but. At the same time, it's it's almost like a, like a badge of honor. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So they have that badge of honor that says like, "Hey, I've I've hit that. Like I've I've been in the trenches." So yeah. it gives that recognition every single time they wear it. So that's that's a super cool aspect for it. We never executed on it, but I always wanted to do different color shirts for different levels of business. You know, so if you had done fifty grand in commissions, you got you know like a I don't know a blue shirt. And you, well. We were AT&T, so we all had blue shirts, but <laughs> you got like a black shirt, you know what I mean? And then if you'd done a hundred grand in business, you got like a silver shirt or something like that. It, but it was all logoed out so you could wear it out to the field. 
and yep. even so even in the field they had that recognition so that's very similar to what you guys are doing with the shoes can you do the retro like the the air max retros with that that's a good question i haven't had anybody ask on it i'm sure i'm sure you can nike yeah. and adidas they all have where you can do full custom shoes so okay so you you really do you don't have like a link or whatever set up you're like what shoes do you want and we'll pick your shoe yeah nice yeah everybody everybody's got different taste i don't need to have them wearing the same blazers that, that i end up rocking i mean it's, it's whatever <laughs> shoe that you'd like that, okay there's a good question and so um now in this age where you know all of us entrepreneurs are wearing caps and hoodies and t-shirts the black t-shirt and the dark jeans uh uniform entrepreneur uniform right how are you handling the dress code like in the office when the guys meet up how are you handling that yeah, I mean, we have full company gear. And um, I mean, as you notice, at, especially at those entrepreneur meetups, it is a very uniform that, that everybody has. Um, I don't fit that dress code. I mean, this this is a company sweatshirt that we have, bright and blue. Yeah. Um, I rock these pretty much everywhere. So yeah, I don't, I don't so much have a dress code, but we all yeah. have a uniform that we wear. I mean, so when you're out in the field, you're wearing, yeah. wearing our shirt. If you're meeting up, um, everybody's got either one of these sweatshirts on or they have... Yeah have the polos on so yeah so when we first started um sidcore i don't know if you ever heard of sidcore before but they were the the game in town right they were the biggest door-to-door sales company for at&t and um they had a kind of a, a systemized approach where if you were a manager you had to at minimum have a blazer and if you were a company owner you had a tie and so everybody wore like suit and ties in the office because they all wanted to be company owners and that was the whole culture was you know we're professionals in the office and then when we go out to the field we we change to our polo for the field or whatever and so um a, a few guys try to bring that to our company and you know we were more relaxed you know in that sense but i've seen it work both ways you know like uh jose lopez one of our apex brothers he's up in chicago and he's crushing it right now doing really well with rooftop solar and uh he maintains that professional dress code in the office all his guys are wearing suits and everything so i've seen both sides of it work really well yeah yeah i haven't i haven't implemented any sort of dress code it just so happens i mean it, in my in my eyes when you wear our logo and when it's a, a company that you care about when it represents something a little bit bigger than yourself um mm -hmm. you're happy to put that stuff on yeah. so i mean we haven't even had to ask anybody like hey make sure you're wearing logoed stuff when you come in like anything like right. that it's i mean it, it just well it makes sense it's easier to make a sale when you look official you know what i mean yeah that that makes a ton of sense too you know we you know we unfortunately had to wear at&t stuff we could never wear our Genta stuff out in the field because that was counterproductive to what we were selling so that makes a ton of sense all right brother last question and i'm sure you know <laughs> you 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 were probably you're probably one of the only guests that, that knows it's coming but legacy what does it mean to you and what legacy do you want to leave behind yeah yeah i would say it it's tough for me to say that legacy is gonna gonna be left behind um i listen to a lot of alex hermosi if you're familiar with him yeah and yeah, yeah. we're all, all gonna be dust exactly yeah. yeah we're all we're all gonna be dust in three generations nobody's gonna remember your name um and i'm i'm kind of a firm believer in that in that it's gonna be tough to to make a big enough impact in order to leave behind something that's gonna last more than three generations so i mean my whole goal with it is just do as much good as humanly possible in the meantime and as long as it sticks it sticks but i mean you can only do as much as you can right yeah absolutely so the cat in you know 
I 100% agree with what you say because it's like the 1% of the 1% of the 1% that actually go down in the history books, you know, Washington, yeah. Franklin, you know, Musk will be one of those. Hermosi, we'll see, right? In three generations, he could easily be gone. And, and he's 100% right in that. But they do exist. You know what I'm saying? So there's an argument to be made that like, hey, what could my history book moment be? You know, I just I just interviewed uh, a guy that got taken. He, he was a CEO of Seco Petroleum, right? And he got mm-hmm. taken hostage for five years uh, in Venezuela. So it became this like diplomatic bidding war, or, like uh, negotiation. You know, you trade our pri- prisoners for your prisoners, this whole thing. Right. And he got stuck there for five years. And it's like he probably thought his legacy was going to be the CEO of oil and gas. You know what I'm saying? But now his legacy is going to be overcoming that because he's coming. He came back about a year ago and now he's using it as a story to inspire and to overcome and to coach other people to do the same. He's writing a book, that whole deal. So now that's going to be his legacy, you know? And Mm -hmm. uh, so there's also that it's like we're in a digital age now, so it won't become dust. It'll be archived forever. Should anybody want to draw it up? You know what I mean? So I don't know. I go back and forth. You know, and I, now I feel like we're not even on the podcast anymore. We're just having a conversation about this like yeah. we would at an apex event. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, with with that, I mean, if it if it ends up being that, I mean, it's it's gone. Three generations don't remember it. It's, mm-hmm. It still means that what's important to you, you only get to set. And I would say what's important to me and, and what I would like to at least be remembered by, if it is only for those three generations, is that, I mean, I, I gave all that I could. So, I mean, even hopping on meetings with, with anybody in Apex, outside of Apex, I mean, it's yeah. constant. I just gave somebody a login to my CRM today so they could go see all of the automations, all the funnels that we've built out, everything. So I would just like to, I mean, learn as many secrets as humanly possible and just hand it out. That's that's 100% the goal. I love it. I love it 100%. And I can tell you that, that that's the reason that no matter what my P&L says or, or no matter what's going on in life, a hundred percent what you just said, because you know, you've made a positive impact and you have given it away, you know, and so that other people can benefit from it. And if you have that, it typically carries you right through those downtimes, carries you right through those, those tough times in your life or life-changing moments. Like my buddy that was in a Venezuelan prison for five years. That's just crap. I'm still like, kind of like tripping out over that in that conversation, but that'll come out in the next couple of weeks or so that podcast. So. All right, brother. I appreciate you so much for coming on. I think it's important that every level of success be documented. Every level of success be shared, right? Because there's someone that's at a thousand a week right now and they're about to give up. And hopefully they listen to this podcast and they listen to Adam say, hey, audit your sales process, audit your people coming in, make these changes, do what I did from zero to 15, or just focus, (laughs) focus on one sales medium. And then you can get to that 15K a week. So appreciate you coming on the show, brother. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. All right, let's get building. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Building Great Sales Teams. We appreciate it. Be sure to execute on everything that you just heard and let's get building. Before we sign off, we'd like to invite you to join our Brickyard community. Head on over to jointhebrickyard.com. Again, that's jointhebrickyard.com or click the link in the description to find out more.